Mercy in adversity. Mercy in adversity, his deepest heart. Mercy in adversity, his deepest heart. So maybe if you don't remember anything else, you, you remember that. And, uh, but Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, it says, And he had the, and you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who was rich in mercy, remember that, but God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. You might hold you. I'm going to refer to, and I probably will read also, um, Matthew chapter 11. Let's just do that now. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. You know, my text is from Ephesians. I just want to kind of hit on this as a springboard to what I'm believe the Lord's lead me to today. So Matthew chapter 11, if you turn there. You see, you hear pages turning. You can't hear the phones or the electronic devices turn now. Chapter 11, verse 27. 11, 27. He says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And, you know, as as this message was stirring in my heart, I... The deepest heart of God is that he's mercy. And as I talked about that last time, that begin to think, Lord, what, what, what is so important about understanding your heart? You know, it's amazing how, you, know, you ever talk to people and you say, no, they got a good heart. They got a good heart. They mean well, but they got a good heart. You know, but with God, his heart is the expression of who he is. With God, his, his heart is a heart of mercy. And I begin to think, Lord, what's the importance of knowing his heart? And I believe for me, as, as, I, as he began to stir for me, it's, you know, the greatest message is the ones God preached to you. But he began to stir with me to understand who he is as a God of mercy. And why is that so important? Because I believe it makes me want to know him better. It makes me want to run to him. It, it causes me to desire his presence, to desire his word, because I know his heart. I know who he is. He, you know... 
sometimes in life you, you get all these things that happen and, and somehow you begin to attach those that that's who God is. That, you know, if you have an earthly father and he's this way, you think it's like that. If you have a preacher that represented God, he was this way, maybe he's like that. Maybe you grew up and your life was a life of performance. You had to perform to get accepted. But God's heart is a heart of mercy, not a heart of performance, not a heart of acceptance. And anyhow, the, the Hebrew word, as I talked about last time, just a quick review. The Hebrew word for, for, for mercy in the Old Testament is hesed. I'm not a Greek scholar or Hebrew scholar, but the word is hesed. It's like used 380 times, a lot. And it's translated three ways. It's translated as mercy, kindness, and loving kindness. So anytime you read in like the Psalms, I think it's used in Psalm 119 like 20 times. It's the same word, hesed. When you think of God as God is mercy, God is kindness, God is mercy, God is loving kindness. It's an awesome thing. You know, when you understand what, it, what the word hesed, what it means. So it, for instance, you got Psalm 2510 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy. The word's hesed. 717, show thy marvelous loving kindness. Hesed. Blessed be the Lord that he has shown his marvelous kindness. Hesed. It's, it's not just who he is. It's not just what he does. It's his heart. In the mercy studies, Andrew, uh, Rex Andrews, he, he trans, he said the word mercy. Mercy is God's supply system for every need everywhere. Mercy is that kindness and compassion and tenderness, which is a passion to suffer with. Are to participate in another's ills or evils in order to relieve, heal, and restore. You know, the more the more that Christ dwells in us, the more of His mercy flows through us. It accepts another freely and gladly as He is, and supplies the needed good of life to build up and to bring to peace and to keep in peace. It is to take another into one's heart just as He is, and cherish Him and nourish Him. Mercy takes another's sins and evils and faults as its own. And frees the other by bearing them to God. Who is this God of mercy? Well, he's a, he, he is a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. He's a God of power. He's holiness. But his heart is a heart of mercy. In this verse, it says, I am rich in mercy. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any other time where God uses the word rich to describe himself. He's rich in mercy. He says he's a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. But here he says, I am rich in mercy. I don't know if you ever thought about that, that he's rich. Well, what's the difference between he's rich in mercy and he has mercy? Because mercy is who he is. It means God is something other than what I've I've naturally, or maybe some of us naturally think that he is. He is good. He is rich in kindness and goodness and loving kindness. He is infinitely kind. He exists in mercy. You know, my word, he's obsessed in mercy. He is, he, he is full of mercy. He is all mercy. He's a billionaire. He's a trillionaire in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He is beyond, beyond mercy. You know, we, 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 we don't have that. We don't understand that, but that is who he is. And because some people don't understand, they think that mercy means that it, it's just that he's, he's complacent. He won't ever do anything. He won't ever correct and judge, but that's not what it means. It means that his heart is a heart of mercy, of kindness. Micah 7, 8 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. 
God being rich, being, not becoming. It's not, it's not just something he has, something he possesses. It's something he is. It's his nature. He is mercy. First Chronicles 7, 19. Oh, Lord, for thy servant's sake and according to thine own heart, thou hast done all this greatness in making known all these great things. He is a foundation, a fountain of mercy. He is full of mercy. And, and when you think of our own lives and, and how far we've fallen, you know, I, I'm convinced if we think that we can earn salvation by works, we have no idea how far we have fallen. And when I get on the edge here, I get a little feeling of falling myself. <laughs> but, but we have fallen more than we even know. We're, if we have fallen from, in sin deep, you know, we're, we're zombies without Christ, so to speak, in this new zombie thing that's come out. I guess it's probably 20 years now, but it's new to me. And all, everything's zombies. Well, that's what we are spiritually as zombies. How can that be? Because mercy is who he is. If mercy was something he simply had, while his deepest nature was something different, there would be no limit to how much mercy he could dole out because that's who he is. It's his nature. His great love. The passage joins the word rich with his great love, but you can't, you can't separate them. It's who he is. He, he throws away the idea of casting off his people. Satan is an accuser of the brethren. But in his divine love, you know, so many times Jesus, when he walked, says he was moved with compassion. I'm just giving you a little quick review because I really want to get into this next part. But I, I got to get a review to build you up to what we're talking about, mercy and adversity here. But when he, he was always moved, he, he, he's just walking along, he comes across the funeral and he stops and he, he said he, he said he sees the mother crying and he has compassion on her, he says in that passage. Compassion, love, mercy go hand in hand with him. He, it says that's what moves him. That's what motivates him. There's something about the lowly. There's something about the sinner. There's something about the suffering that causes him to move. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that that's his heart? I don't know why. For, for me at times I feel like that, you know, I failed him so many times that really deep down he's kind of disappointed in me. Anybody else feel that? You ever feel that way? That he's, he's really disappointed in me. You know, I, my dad wasn't, wasn't drunk and, and he, you know, they only care about themselves and it's all about them. And so they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't dole out much mercy, first of all. They don't dole out any, any words of anything. But if I happen to perform just right, I might get a little glimpse of something from him. Maybe he would tell somebody, that Joe is a hard worker. He would never tell me that, but I might accidentally hear him say that. So, boy, I work hard now because I finally found something of acceptance here. But for the most part, maybe he's disappointed with me. And my dad was a logger, a big, tough guy, you know, and rough you know, when I got saved when I was seven, I'm this little tender-hearted guy. I cried over everything. I only lost one fight in my life, though. That's because I slipped running around the corner. And, uh, but, but I wasn't a fighter, you know. But, you know, Dad's like, you, you know, next time those boys say something, you just, you let them have it, you know. And so I always felt like he was disappointed. I wasn't this rough, tough, you know. I remember in kindergarten, my, my sisters, they didn't get on the bus. I'd be crying, you know, crying. My sisters are going to miss the bus, you know, and I'm crying. But with God, it's not about performance. It's about the mercy of who he is. It's his heart. He is justice. I want to say in those, because I want to get to this part. 
divine wrath so deserving we live in the flesh those passions it was the air we breathe the water we swim in the ugliest of desires was us we inhaled rejection of god and self-destruction well deserved not a lapse into sin but we were dead in sin and through his great mercy amen he has redeemed us he has bought us back his mercy overcomes the deadness of our hollowed souls, our zombiness, or whatever it is. And you know, this week, as in my in my studies, I was reading, I was daily Bible reading. I was reading in Jeremiah. I, I love Jeremiah. I never loved Jeremiah so much as I do right now for some reason. I, you ever go through those times in your life, and I just bawl and cry, and the Lord speaks to me, and I take notes through Jeremiah. Read Jeremiah sometime. It's a great book. Even you say, well, it's about it's about wrath. No, it's about mercy. <laughs> it's about mercy. Look, let's, let me read this. I've got to slow down. I get all wound up. I talk too fast. Jeremiah 48, verse 29. I'll read it to you unless you want to follow along. Jeremiah 48, 29. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceeding proud. His loftiness and his arrogance and his pride and the haughtiness of his heart. I know his wrath, saith the Lord, but it shall not be so. His lies shall not so affect it. Therefore will I howl for Moab. What? Therefore will I howl for Moab. And I will cry out for all Moab. What? What? Mine heart shall mourn for the men of Kariz. What? Therefore mine heart shall sound for Moab like pipes. He says this twice. And mine heart shall sound like pipes for the men of Kariz. Because the riches that he had gotten are perished. Verse 27. Yet will I bring again the captivity of Moab in the latter days, saith the Lord. Thus far is the judgment of Moab. He said, well, 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 what are you saying here? Well, Moab comes from, from incest. First of all, it comes from one of Lot's daughters. Um, Moab hired Balaam to curse God's people. Eklon, king of Moab, in Judges 3, it says he, he oppressed them for 18 years. In many scriptures, several prophets and psalms, they all call Moab the enemy of Israel. Get a picture with me here. But God says, I howl for Moab. How, how can that be? How can God, how can God cry for people that hate him and hate his people? You get the picture here? Because his heart is what? It's a heart of mercy. Judgment. God could have just wiped them all out. But what do you do? He brought the prophet and he told him, don't do this. Don't go this way. Don't go this way. See, some people believe that everybody's life is predestined and, 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 and this is the way it's going to go. If it is, then why would God send the prophet to try to turn him around? Why would he send prophet after prophet, preacher after preacher? I believe there's two paths, and he knows that we have ability to choose which path. And so he is trying to say, choose this path. That's mercy. Choose it. If you don't, this is wrath. This is judgment coming. Don't choose that path. That's why we're called to preach the gospel. That's why we're called to rescue the dying. Because there's two paths. And we, you know, we're created in his image. We're created to make a choice to serve him or not to serve him. But his heart of mercy is for Moab. <laughs> Think how much greater it is for his people. Think how great it is that his mercy for you and me. So now I, I want to talk about who is this God of mercy and what is he saying? Second, he's saying, I am, I, I am the, mer the person of mercy. 
God is saying, I'm the person of mercy in every situation in your life. That's what I want to get at this morning. I know it takes me a long time to get there. This has been a horrendous week for me. You ever have hell knocking at your door every day with something? You know, and, 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 and I, I know you can always say there's, there's some that's worse. Some has been through worse. Some not as much. But for me, it was a hard week. You know, one thing after another. I tell you all of it, but I don't have enough time. That's how bad it was and how long. And there's still no answers to most of it in the natural. God's the answer. Amen. But I guess what stirred in my heart is that in Luke, Luke 8, 22, you don't have to turn it. You know the story. The disciples are in the storm, and the storm comes. The boat's getting flooded. They're saying, he's in the bow of the boat. Jesus, don't you care about us? We're going to perish, you know. Stands up, he rebukes the storm, and then, and then he, he tells them, why would you doubt? What, 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 as, I, as I began to read that story, God, he began to tell me, Joe, I'm in the storm. And, and he says, I want you to embrace the storm, run to the storm. That's where I'm at. Think about that for a minute. Where was he in the storm? He was in the boat. You know, it, but the point, I guess, that he's speaking to me is that if you want to find the sweetness of God and the sweetness of his presence, it's in the storm. It's in adversity. It's in adversity. I hate adversity, but I shouldn't. I just like the Lord said, Joe, find the joy in the storm. <laughs> find the joy in the storm. He said, wow, because he goes, I am in the storm. If you want to know where I'm at, I'm in the storm. The storm in your life. Another storm was going on was the disciples were rowing and rowing. It was going nowhere. The wind was blowing the waves. And Jesus comes walking on the water again. And, and, and what he tell him? Don't be afraid. Don't you know? And of course, you know Peter walked on the water. You know, don't be afraid. Why? Because we're in the midst of the storm. Where was he? He was in the storm. In this case, he's, he's mastering the water, mastering the storm each time. Why are you asleep? Why don't you care? Christ is all pure grace, clothed with our nature. When we look at Christ's life, we see or seeing what rich in mercy looks like. Listen to me. When you look at Christ, you're seeing what rich in mercy looks like. How rich in mercy talks conducts itself towards sinners, towards sufferers, toward doubters, toward the fearful. Read about it. that's mercy in person, and you see how mercy deals in person. What do he say to him in the storm? He said, What? Don't be afraid. What do you say to him in the, in the other storm? Why'd you doubt? I'm here. I think most of us tend to lean toward the disciples' point of view in storms, don't we? And in my week, it's been kind of rough. And I got to tell you, it's, he, he's speaking to me that, hey, find the joy in the storm. Embrace the storm. Why? Because a greater revelation of me will come. Why do you create man to walk with us in the cool of the evening so he can know us? Why do storms come so he can walk with you in the midst of the storm? So you can find him in a greater way than you've never found him before. Storms do something in us and cause something in us. to In this revelation of him that comes, that's so great, his presence comes, it's so great that can't be found any other way because that's where he's at. He's in the storm. Mercy and adversity. 
Jesus is what mercy looks like and speaks like. He is what mercy is. Ephesians 2, 6, it says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're eternally invincible. (laughs) We are eternally invincible. I like superhero stuff. I like invincible superheroes. Something has happened, though, and lately. Used to be Superman was invincible. Now they've made him weak, and all these other superheroes are greater. But there is one Superman, and he is invincible. Amen. And he lives within you and me, and he's made us invincible. So in the midst of the storm, don't fear. In the midst of the storm, don't see it as bad and horrible, but find the joy in the storm. Because why? That's where he is. Why? Because you're gonna, when you come out of the storm, there's gonna be a greater revelation, a greater thing that's happened in your life. Because he's in the storm. Christ doesn't meet us halfway. He engaged death and he defeated it and he brought life. He did, he did it once and he did it for all. And he continues to do it time and time again in your sin, your folly, in every situation in your life, in your failures, in your defeats. See, I used to believe that when problems came, it's because I got some kind of sin that has opened up the door in my life. Could be at times, maybe. But if that's the case, when God chastised, you know, when you correct your kids, you don't just correct them. They have no idea why you're correcting them. That's what an alcoholic father does. You know, he just jumps up and goes crazy and starts whipping you just because you walked in the room. But God, the father, a good father, he instructs him. He explains to him why are they are getting corrected? Why it's going to hurt him worse than it does them. You know, he explains that to them why they're getting corrected. And so if God's correcting us, he's not just going to cause this stuff to happen. And we don't know why we're being corrected. And normally he corrects differently. He deals with us differently. He doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve, amen? <laughs> because he's mercy. But he wants to, what is correction for? It's to change the bad path and get us on a right path. What are storms for? What, are, what is adversity for in our life? It's to give us a greater revelation of him. It's where he is. So what's that mean for us? To run to the storm? To run to the storm, the evidence of his mercy toward you is not just in your life, but it's in his mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed, abandoned place at the cross of Calvary that he did for you. That's the greatest expression of mercy, that he took your place and he died for you. God sent his own son to walk through the valley of condemnation, to walk through the valley of rejection, to walk through the valley of hell. We can trust him in the storm. See, there you go. We can trust him in the storm. (laughs) Joe, you can trust him in the storm. (laughs) He's trustworthy. He never fails. He never leaves you. He's trustworthy. It did not take, it always helps me. It didn't take him by surprise. He didn't say, oh, wow, look what happened to Joe this week. (laughs) Because I don't belong to me. You don't belong to you. You belong to him. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. Quit living like you're your own. Quit thinking like you're your own. You're not your own. Someone much greater lives in you. Someone, someone much greater guides your life. He is Jehovah Roe. He is the shepherd. He is the great shepherd. 
You know, the, the word Jehovah-Rohi with the great shepherd also means that he's a, he's a companion and a friend. <laughs> he's a companion and a friend. Don't you need a companion and a friend in the storm? Why adversity? Why adversity? Well, greater revelation of Christ. A foundation, though, of who he is. You find a foundation, because if he's a God of mercy, if his heart is mercy, in the midst of the storm, you get to find out, you get to find the foundation of who Christ is. It's easy for us to say he's mercy. It's easy for us to, to see mercy in someone else's life. But when you go through it, it's a whole different story, isn't it? When you, listen, if you're really a child of God, you're going to face some storms. You're going to face them. You're going to go through them. But it's mercy found in adversity. He wants you to know him more. For this reason, he created us to walk with him, to know him. He knows us. Listen, I, 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 I know the Lord better than I ever have in my life. But I don't have a clue who he is. That's really the truth. I, I, I don't have a clue who he is. But I want to know him. I want to know him more. I want to know him greater. I want to understand this heart of mercy. What does that mean? It doesn't mean he's not just. It doesn't mean he's not a God of judgment. It doesn't mean he's not holy. What does this mercy mean? Psalm. You got you to gotta read a psalm here. Let's read Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Great psalm. Verse 25. Verse 25. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind. What? He did that? Which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunk man and are at their wit's end. Then what happens? They cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out, bringeth them out of their distresses. And then what's he do? He maketh the storm a calm, so as the ways thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. And it's real important this verse to hear. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his, what's the word? Goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. What should the storm bring out in our life? It should bring a praise. <laughs> it should bring a praise. Who here has been through at least one hurricane? At least one hurricane. I know we... You see it coming. It looks bad. It looks horrible. Here it comes. In the middle of it, it's bad. It's blowing. Things are flying around you. And then once that thing goes through, the sun comes out and it gets hot. The birds are singing on all the fallen trees. But there's something about when the storm passes. You know, lightning produces ozone. O3. O3 is O2 with the atom split in half. And it automatically attaches itself to another O2. And when it attaches itself to another O2, it looks for something else to attach itself to. And what it does is it purifies and it cleanses. So ozone is God's natural 
um, what's that spray we spray to dis- disinfectant spray? Ozone kills 99% of every bacteria and sickness and disease known to man. That's why COVID can't be rampant out in the air. Because O2, O3 kills it. Ozone kills it. We hear about ozone being bad at the police. But, but if you go outside after a lightning storm and you smell that fresh air, that's, that's ozone you're smelling. That freshness. It's a natural cleanser. It cleanses. That's obviously too much of anything is not good. Too much disinfectant. It's not a good thing. But when he's done with the storm, He's brought oh, he's brought O3 in your life. He's brought some ozone. He's cleansed some things in you as well. He's cleansed doubt and unbelief. So, so in the storm, in these two storms, the disciples, they were afraid and they were doubtful. And he abraded them for it. And then you have the story of the centurion here. And the centurion comes up and he says, Lord, my servant is sick. And he says, I will go. He's always moving. He just stops everything. And it, he takes off this, this centurion, this sinner, this Gentile. Leaves all, and he goes, no, you don't have to go. Just speak the word. And he's healed. And Christ says, these marvels. He said, what such great faith in all Israel. That's what he's wanting in you and me. In the midst of the storm, he wants you to say, Lord, just speak the word. And that great faith, that faith began to stir up in us. So I got a couple minutes here. Let me, let me turn, turn Lamentations chapter 3. I, I finished Jeremiah and went to Lamentations, so this stood out to me. I don't, I don't like Lamentations normally, <laughs> or he's crying. <laughs> uh, sometimes when I read that, I just fall. Sometimes you miss the storm, you know. It, it's just good to hear, read Lamentations. You know, they had real problems there. Mine's nothing, you know. And yet God, God brought them through. Lamentations chapter three, verse eighteen. I, I printed it out here, but Lamentations chapter three. It's right after Jeremiah. Right after Isaiah, right after the, the Psalms and Proverbs and all that in there. So, 3, three eighteen says, And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Maybe you're feeling that way right now in the midst of your, maybe you're watching. Maybe this is a canned message you're watching. Word's still the same. God's wanting to use it to minister to you. Maybe you're here today. And you're in the midst of a storm, the greatest storm of your life. Listen, I drive in this, this, this storm we've had all, all summer. Driving to New Orleans and lanes of traffic and two feet of water and a crazy nutso everywhere. And, and the storm's so hard you can hardly see. And I get behind a truck sometimes who, I don't know how he sees. He must have cat eyes or something. But I just keep going. I just keep going. Because guess what happens when I keep going? Eventually I drive out of the storm. Remember mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul had them still in remembrance and, it, and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies. What is it of? The Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because what? His compassions fail not. They are what? New every morning. Great. Great is thy faithfulness. See, when you're in a storm, it makes you tender. You know, storms make you, you have no control. 
We all like control somehow, but bottom line, we, none of us really have control on our lives. But when we go through a storm, it becomes more real how little control you really have over anything. But the child of God should never have control. It should be Christ at the wheel. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm not faithful. I failed, I failed people. I failed myself so many times. Why would I, why would I trust myself? Why would I think I'm going to take control and do it? Listen, if I failed you as many times as I failed myself, you would never give me another chance to trust me for nothing. But you trust yourself. Why? That's why he takes you through the storm. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Skip down to verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have what? Compassion according to what? The multitudes. See, it's kind of like the word rich, isn't it? The multitudes, isn't it? The multitudes of his mercies. I'm thankful for his mercy. I need it every moment of every day. I need his kindness and his goodness. He's not like what I think. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's not like your dad or your mom or your friend or your brother or your sister. He is a God of mercy. Who is this God? Who is what, who's his deepest heart is rich in mercy, embodied in the person, his son, Jesus Christ. What does that mean to us? That we may know him greater, love him more, run to him more often, trust him in the storm. Run to the storm because that is where he is. To walk in heavenly places of victory every day of our lives. To be healed and lifted by his great kindness, his loving kindness, his mercy, his hesed. Who he is, his heart, his passion, his care, his motivation. What moves him? What you are to him? Mercy. Mercy. You can come back and play here. I know uh, I've only got five minutes or so left, but I just, I want to just take a moment. You know, for me, as I've gone through different hard times and I come down to this altar... Maybe I'm down there bawling my eyes out because whatever's going on in my heart and life, people come up and they just begin to pray for me. You know, I, at school we used to make jokes. You know, you'd say, you're so low you could walk under the belly of a snake. You're so low you could sit on the ground and dangle your feet. You know, that's how low I feel sometimes. But someone would come up to me. Maybe two, and they just begin to pray the sweetest prayer. Maybe they don't even say a word. They just begin to pray. And I, I can feel them. They're fighting for me. And before the end of the service, I'm, I'm, I'm in cloud nine. I'm walking on water again. Man, God's lifted me up. I'm just happy. And I begin to pray for others. And it just something begins to take place.